So it's been a while since I've done a recording and that's because I've been quite unwell and had to have a couple of operations in hospital um, but I'm mending up now and getting back onto an even keel and feeling well enough and keen to podcast again because I've really been enjoying it and I was hoping to give you a weekly podcast that would take us through the canal year and travelling on the canals but with everything that's uh, caught me by surprise we have ended up staying much more in one place than we wanted to and the weeks have gone by and we're now approaching midsummer and so nature's moved on without me a lot and I have just been lying in my sick bed looking out of the window and uh, working on getting better but I've been out for a walk today and the towpaths are quite beautiful we've done a jump from spring to summer and we've had a spell of hot weather and the hedges are thick now with things to harvest uh, it's blossom time and the blackberries are blossoming and the dog roses are blossoming and the elderflower is blossoming so there's lots to collect uh, there's lots of red clover out and every day when i go out for my walk I'm, uh, I'm, I'm collecting a whole stack of herbs and bringing them home and drying them on the roof of the boat in the sunshine or indoors a little more slowly. So it's busy times at the moment, but it's really good to be back to podcasting. And this week I'm going to talk to you uh, about using uh, nettles and elderflower and plantain to help with hay fever because the hay fever scene is, is high and we'll also be having a little look at um, how to dry herbs uh, using zero energy in, in good weather on the boat and we'll also be talking a little bit about uh, how to cope with being ill on a boat because that's something I've uh, had a steep learning curve on in the last few months. So hay fever time is upon us in the UK at this time. Uh, we're coming uh, into mid-June, very close to summer solstice. And the uh, the tree flowers have been out and they're always quite an irritation. Um, the hawthorn is often an irritation to people. And uh, so lots of people are walking about at the moment with itchy eyes and streaming noses and feeling very uncomfortable. And I thought I'd talk a little bit about uh, natural remedies for working with hay fever. And hay fever is an allergic reaction, uh, as you know, and causes itchiness and inflammation and uh, streaming and secretion of, of mucus uh, secretions. So working on it, we, we use herbs to calm down the allergic reaction itself and also to try and symptomatically reduce uh, the, the amount of mucus and itchiness and inflammation produced in the allergic reaction. And some of the herbs that we use for this are nettles and elderflower and our good friend plantain. And I combine these together in a tea. So I would take uh, a head of elderflower and I'd take a, about five ribwort plantain leaves and a few nettles, so maybe 10 nettle leaves, 10 smallish nettle leaves of young nettles. You want them before they flower. And I'd combine these in a, in a pot and pour boiling water on them and let them steep for a little while 
and, uh, and drink that to try and get some relief from the streaming and the irritation. And the other thing that you can do is uh, to add some chamomile to that because chamomile helps to reduce the, the actual allergic reaction itself. So it inhibits the histamine reaction, which means that you, you, the allergy doesn't kick off in the first place. So that's also another helpful one. Many people swear by taking local honey. So honey produced by bees from pollen in your local area is something that can help. And another thing that is, is really helpful, and I think I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, is drinking nettle tea from when the nettles first start to come up before the hay fever season to uh, help to offset hay fever uh, symptoms as, as, as the, the hay fever season gathers momentum. So there you go, elderflower, nettle and plantain tea to help with your hay fever symptoms. So I've had to have two operations this year in hospital, which came as a big surprise to a herbalist. But there we are. Uh, things can hit any of us without expectation. And uh, sometimes even when we try quite hard to look after ourselves, things go wrong. And that's something that all of us have to accept, that our health is not perfect. And sometimes we have to accept uh, quite dramatic help in order to uh, to remain well and that's what's happened to me but what I really want to talk to you about is is not my illness but about coping from the point of view of living on a boat because that's what you're here to find out about so it's easy to live on a boat when everything's going hunky-dory we wander along from day to day and in the winter we light fires and cooks lovely stews on the stove and in the summer we sit out of doors and drink gin and tonics and feel very happy with our way of life but life isn't always so easy and for anybody who's considering a lifestyle like this uh, there are a lot of questions to be asked like how do we cope during in health um, and something that's really interested me is that since I've been quite seriously ill lots of people have been asking me if I'm going to move back into a house or they've been asking me if I'm going to stop moving about on my boat or they've been asking me uh, whether um, I'm feeling safe or not and the answer to all of those questions is I'm staying aboard I'm staying on my boat and I'm staying moving about and in fact so far in spite of quite a bit of debility we haven't found it um, impossible to live on the boat and in fact to, to stay living our way of life has been something that's been very heartening and very healing to me uh, and interestingly a friend of mine also had an operation at the same time as me and she found it much more difficult in her house to move about and to get from bedroom to bathroom and so on and so forth. And I've actually found it very easy on the boat to move about, uh, to, to move myself whilst quite incapacitated from the bed to the bathroom to use the, the loo or, or to shower. Uh, and it's been very easy to keep our little boat very clean. So we've been able to avoid any uh, worries about infection or anything or or letting the housework go whilst whilst I've been ill because there's been so little to do and it's been very easy for for my carer 
to manage to stay on top of all that whilst I've been unable to do it. So in actual fact, it surprised me how much it, my healing has been aided by living abroad. Uh, the community has been wonderful. The community have rallied around and I've had so much help. Uh, people have helped us in, in every way possible, but actually the way that they've helped us the most is just cheery waves and inquiries after my health and, and general uh, caring for what's going on for me. And, and that's been an absolute joy to uh, realise and, and be a part of. People have lent us their address so that people can send me stuff and I've had presents and books and gifts and um, hard drives full of films and music and all sorts. So everybody's been absolutely wonderful to me. But the best thing has been to be able to lie in bed and, and look out of the window and, and watch the seasons change, even though um, I've been incapacitated and less able to go out than usual, although um, operations didn't stop me from being out of doors for long. I, I was soon back on my feet and and walking small distances, just, just a quarter of a mile or so to begin with, just to um, just to keep my circulation going, you know, holding the arm of my partner, but very quickly getting back to, to walking one and two and three and four and, and now five miles now that I'm a couple of months down the line from the last operation. So all in all, it's been a, a very revealing experience for us that actually our way of life is sustainable even in the most adverse of circumstances and that we've we've found it very possible to to manage and sustain uh, our normal way of life our normality even when um, i've been dealing with with um, stitches and drains and, um, and and some fairly hefty drugs and so on and so forth so very pleased to report that uh, life on a boat even when things are difficult illness-wise, is, is remaining possible. And that's something that's very important to me and has made a big difference to my life. The other thing that's been important is that, um, according to our licence, we must stay on the move unless we are dealing with, with extreme ill health. And I have had to liaise with the Canal and River Trust in order to arrange uh, to be in one place for more than 14 days whilst I was getting over the operation and then to remain in, in a smaller area than we normally would have uh, in order for me to be able to get to hospital and, and go to and fro for my follow-up appointments and they've been incredibly cooperative about this. It's been really easy to do, they've been really kind uh, um, and they've absolutely adhered to the letter of the law and the terms and conditions of my licence. So. Uh, very happy also to report that uh, that things have been able to move forward in a, in a very straightforward and cooperative manner that's made it very easy for me to, to not stress about boat life whilst I've been ill. But the good news is that I'm, I'm mending well and I've been doing my physiotherapy diligently and we are looking to be moving on very soon and uh, we'll be uh, able to untie and start travelling a little further afield and looking uh, beyond the very narrow confines of the four or five miles that we've, we've been in the last few months.
I've been doing a lot of drying of herbs. Whilst I've been out on my walk, I've been collecting many things to help me with my convalescence. And we've had a very long spell of, of hot weather through May and June, several weeks of very, very dry, hot weather. And of course, the boat is made of metal, so the the, the heat, um, the sunshine heats up the metal, almost so hot that you can't touch it. You have to be careful about, about uh, touching uh, the, the metal walls of the boat sometimes in, in extreme heat. And, and also, I'm very careful not to let the dog walk about on the roof when the sun is really hot because uh, it, it could literally burn his pads. But this heat is really useful to harvest. And so I use it to harvest um, the, uh, to dry the herbs that I want to preserve over the winter because drying is a very efficient way of keeping herbs on the boat because obviously as you take the moisture out of the uh, herbs they they compact and become smaller and so I'm able to store much more which is which is very important particularly because I, I need a lot of herbs to convalesce this year. So when I'm drying what I do is uh, I collect the herbs I'm fairly particular about when I collect herbs. Some herbs I collect with the uh, waxing of the moon and some I collect with the waning of the moon. And I also, on the whole, tend to collect in the morning and after the dew has dried on, on the plant, but not too late in the day. Uh, and there's, there's lots of detail if you want to go into looking into precisely when and how to harvest individual plants to gather their con constituents at their best and most abundant. So once I've collected my little handful of things and I just tend to collect as I, I go out on, on my walk and uh, I will, I'll see plants that I want and, and I'll stop and pay my respects to the plant and then gather a little, always one in ten, never, never more than one in ten. So if there are ten red clover flowers I gather one and if there are ten uh, sprays of elderflower blossom I gather one. It's really important to leave plenty for the other creatures that we share our environment with. I'm not the only person who needs elderflowers or elderberries to get through the winter. I'm not the only person who needs hawthorn flowers or hawthorn flowers going on to form hawthorn berries to get through the winter. These are important for the birds and the mice as well. And so uh, I, uh, it's very important to me that I take my part carefully in the, uh, in the hierarchy of nature and not take more than is my due alongside the other creatures that are um, sharing my environment. So I collect the flowers and I bring them home and then I lay them out uh, and I lay them out on, um, on muslin on a, on a tin tray and then I place a little bit of uh, a grid like a roasting tin. I have a roasting tin or a grill pan that has it has a grid over it and I use the grid then to uh, to um, hold down the plant so the leaves I'm drying or the sprays of flowers that I'm drying I hold down with with the grid so that the heat of the roof heats up the tin. The muslin stops the flowers from uh, from from over drying from drying too quickly and the grid on the top prevents the flowers from blowing away if there's a sudden breeze and that's my favorite way to to quickly dry things and and get them uh, get the moisture out of them which usually takes uh, a couple of days depending on the size of the of the plant and how how much moisture it's got got in it so so a tiny elderflower dries very very much more quickly 
than uh, say a blackcurrant leaf or a blackberry leaf or a plantain leaf which has got a lot of moisture in and takes a while to dry out. There are other ways of doing this as well and, and, and more even ways and more reliable ways in, uh, in, in rather variable UK northern weather patterns and the best one is, is to use a dehumidifier. Uh, I'm not needing to do that at the moment but I do often uh, plug in the dehumidifier because when I've got sunshine I've got energy and when I've got energy I can use electrical uh, appliances and so quite often I use the dehumidifier to um, uh, to dry out the plants and that dries them very evenly and very quickly in, in a matter of hours and you can stack up several trays of, of petals and leaves and dry those out and later on in the year I'll start drying berries and fruit with the dehumidifier as well and I'll also probably make some fruit leather because uh, since I've been ill I've cut absolutely every scrap of sugar out of my diet so some little fruit treats for the winter will be very welcome. So that's drying for you. Once your plant is dried and, 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 and crispy and, and has absolutely no moisture in it, then it's time to store it. And the best thing to store in are glass jars. Uh, but you want to use uh, a dark glass jar. Now, I don't find dark glass jars so easy to come across because I like to recycle. So what I do is I paint the outside of the jar with glass paints and I, I, I paint the, the, the light out of the jar. So I, I paint in, in greens and browns usually and I can put the name of the herb on the side of the jar. And that's something that uh, is another part of the mindfulness of, of gathering and storing and having my herbs to hand for later in the year. So there you go, that's drying. I'll try and put a photograph up on my Facebook page, Wild Geese Travelling, of, uh, of herbs drying out and dried herbs that we've been gathering recently. So what I had to eat today, I began my breakfast with fresh homemade cow's milk yoghurt, which costs me pennies. And I added some linseeds and some ground almonds, a spoonful of hemp oil, and some fresh blueberries into that. So that was my first thing. And along with that, I had a cup of green tea. And then a little later on, I had a tiny, tiny cup of black coffee, which is my very special treat. Later on for lunch, we had onion bhajis, which were just uh, gram flour mixed with water and spices and chopped onion through them and very shallow fried. And then we had those with mayonnaise and some damson pickle that I made last autumn. Mid-afternoon, a salad, a fresh salad. We grow the salad leaves on the roof of the boat, so I snipped up a fresh salad, uh, which I had with pickled ash keys and a few olives, and again, some oil and vinegar just to dress the salad. And then this evening, I'll be having a little handful of organic mints uh, fried off again with lots of chilli and kidney beans and courgette and onions and basically making a, a sort of I suppose a, a chilli con carne sort of type meal uh, which I, I will have just as it is and my partner will have with a little rice. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling heavy at the moment and I'm keeping my, uh, my carbohydrates down a little. Through the day I've drunk um, about 1500 mil of water um, and I will also 
have more cups of green tea to keep me going and just in a minute when I finish this podcast as my reward I'm going to have a cup of rooibos tea which is my afternoon tea favourite and uh, recording this podcast in England um, afternoon tea for me is is a, a an important little meal and uh, these days afternoon tea is often seen as being a very luxurious thing with sandwiches and cakes uh, but when I was a little girl, uh, cakes only really happened on a Sunday. And if we were lucky, we had biscuits with our afternoon tea. But more often than not, it was bread and butter. And that's exactly what I'll be having for my afternoon tea this afternoon. will be a cup of rooibos tea and a couple of small, thinly buttered slices of buckwheat bread. So there you go. That's an English everyday afternoon tea.